Hi, this is Deo Moano with Persevere to Excel podcast. And today I am super excited. I have Marie Ramos with me for my podcast. And we're going to talk about so many different things, but I hope you guys are doing well. And for our music, we have Martin Toe, who is giving us his amazing melodies. All right, all right, Marie, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I am living the dream. How are you doing, Dale? I'm, I'm doing well. You know, it's like it's Wednesday, so we're halfway through the week. And um, the way that my schedule works, sometimes I, everything is just intertwined with each, with, with each other. So, like, I just literally went back to back three meetings. And now we got a schedule podcast to connect with you. So this is kind of like a cool down time of my schedule. So I'm super excited to have you. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Um, you know, had the day off from my day job and was helping my kids doing their remote learning today. So playing the mom role today and taking care of business like we always do. <laughs> no, 100%. I think that's part of being a parent, right? Especially with everything that's happening now. It's almost like we, you know, regardless of what you do for your career or whatever else thing that you're involved with, it's like the the being present is almost to the next level of being there for your children, especially with, you know, the hybrid stuff, the remote stuff or the complete remote stuff. So I feel you on that. And um, Marie, I wanted to start off by saying I usually have like a um, like a cheesy question for my opening. And um, I know you're like super active. You love music. You love all that. So I'm curious to know, like right now, if you were about to play a song for, I know you're big into fitness as well. Like what would your go-to song? If you're feeling tired and you're like, man, I, I just got to get this workout, but I need something to motivate me. Wh what song would you play? What's your go-to? Oh man, I'm going to have to say two. So... I'm a big Hamilton, the musical fan. Okay, okay. Okay, so the song, I'm not gonna let my shot. That one is really great. Awesome, Hamilton, awesome. Hamilton. Um, and then I like Lizzo, to be honest. <laughs> Lizzo, all right, all right. I know she, I know she had her wave uh, in 2019. So you're still, you're still bumping Lizzo. I'm still bumping Lizzo. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. Actually, I want I do want to go back to that Hamilton thing. You know, like a lot of people would never think like, you know, a, a musical, a Broadway musical would be uh, an inspirational track to get someone motivating while they're working out. Why is that song particular the one that you would pick to kind of help you get pumped up through your workout? There's a song that actually that um, our our family likes to sing is Rise Up from Hamilton. And, you know, if you don't know the story, um, it's about a Caribbean immigrant, uh, Alexander Hamilton, who's one of our founding fathers, who emigrated into the United States to create a name for himself. And the song Rise Up, it really just mimics and mirrors a lot of what I feel like I went through growing up. And when I'm in those workouts, trying to lift those weights and feel like, you know, the weights are like pushing against me, um, it gets me pumped up enough to just kind of push through it and do my thing. That's awesome. So the message, the message of that song is what's driving you. It's inspiring you. It's keeping you moving. That, that's what that's what I'm hearing. Yes. I'm also curious as as someone who's in big into fitness and stuff. Um, how how do you 
how do you kind of personalize in terms of like that, like the progress, right? There's so many different motivation that leads to people wanting to be fit and living a, you know, like a healthy life. Like for you personally, like what's, is, is it more personal, right? To you based on your own personal goal? Is it more external? Meaning like, you know, you're a mom and you're, uh, you know, you're, you're a doctor. We'll talk about that too. But like, what, what's the motivating factors that, that drives kind of your, your, your fitness pursuit? That's a good question. So I like to joke around, but there's a little bit of truth in every joke. But I tell people, you know, exercise for me is sort of like my antidepressant, my anti-anxiety medicine, right? Um, when we have so many stressors going on, um, keeping a regular rhythm of fitness and wellness is what keeps me focused. And it reminds me to stay in the moment. Um, when I am doing CrossFit or taking a run or going on a hike, or even just playing in the playground with my with my kids, I have to be present or else, you know, I'm getting up there in age, so I'm gonna hurt myself if I don't. <laughs> so um, I think that's really the biggest thing is, you know, trying to um, have like tangible reminders of being present in the moment and not letting, not sweating the small stuff. Thank you for sharing that. That's 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 really cool. Um, so it sounds like there's a combination of different motivating factors that's actually contributing to that pursuit. Um, and and I am I I wanted to dig deeper on that, but we'll come back to that hopefully throughout our, oh. our conversation. Um, um, please just let my listener know a little bit of who you are, right? Like, who are you? What do you do? And and how do you find yourself in the, you know, in the community that you're in, right? You're, you're, we're here, part of this podcast. I'm in New Hampshire. I live in Manchester, New Hampshire, but, and, um, and New Hampshire is a very interesting state. And so I'm curious to know from your perspective, as you, as you tell my audience who you, a little bit of who you are, I'm just curious too, around like, what, like, where are you? Like, why'd you decide to be where you are now within the community that you're in? Yeah, for sure. So, um, I am a first generation Haitian American, I was born in Boston and raised in Manchester. So I went to junior high at Parkside um, Junior High and then went to West High School um, on the west side of Manchester. Yep. Um, <laughs> um, so, you know, that's that's my background. And, you know, about 20 years ago is when I kind of learned about who I was in this space in New Hampshire and then decided to leave for college and um, as you said, I went to medical school to become a, a family doctor. Um, and we, my husband and I, after starting our family, um, we decided, you know, we needed to set roots. Uh, we wanted to be more accessible to our loved ones on the East Coast. And, you know, in looking at where we felt we could create the most impact, uh, we were drawn to look back at New Hampshire, uh, the schools here. The for our kids having a small town feel, but having accessibility to um, the amenities of a city. But what was most interesting for me personally was the the social and the political kind of milieu here in the state of New Hampshire. It's a small state, which means that you know you can know the people that make the laws, that make the policies. And that's something that is really important for me as being an advocate for my community and the people that I serve. Um, so all of those things um, just kind of fit 
And uh, when we came to visit again as, a, as adults, my husband and I with our kids, um, we just said, you know, this, this place felt like home. No, that's great. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I'm very, um, uh, I'm, 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 I'm always intrigued to hear how people end up in New Hampshire. And, um, and, and, and for you, it sound like, like, you know, you, your, your family laid root here when you guys moved here and then you, you went out and about, you know, you went to school and you, you know, you, you got your degree and you started practicing somewhere else. And then once you started thinking about where you're going to build foundation, you decided to come back to the state in order to build kind of, you know, your root, your, your root. And I am curious though, like um, when you started to, to travel, like where you went to school and stuff, did, what was that experience like knowing that like you spent a good amount of time here in New Hampshire and then you, you moved somewhere else? Did you, did you compare what the experiences were or like, how did your experience in you growing up in New Hampshire grounded who you were in terms of how you then interacted with people that came from different places as you, traveled and you got out of here. Yeah, yeah. So like I said, you know, I grew up a first generation American, which means for me in the home, I was Haitian. I spoke a different language. I listened to different music. I ate different food. Um, my family is loud. You know, we wear our emotions on our sleeves, you know, but having that experience um, grounded me in my ethnicity as a Haitian American. But it wasn't until I went to college in the Midwest, in St. Louis, um, and then grad school in Cleveland, Ohio, that's where I started to recognize my identity as, um, as being Black in America and what that meant. Um, up until then, I was very, surround very much surrounded by my friends, my family, in the same kind of cultural context. And um, that's I didn't recognize the like the nuances and the, I didn't know the history of, of blacks within America. That wasn't necessarily part of my, um, my understanding. And yep. so when I went to college, you know, that's where I started to understand like, you know, black fraternities and sororities. I had no idea what that was and what that meant. Um, I took a black history class and I was like, man, you know, the, the richness of black culture within America um, was so vast. And then getting getting the ability to meet other caribbean and latino diaspora yep. through my undergrad and what i mean that was that was enriching for me um in so many ways just to understand that um there was a complexity behind my my roots um that really grounded me and it helped me to become even more proud of who i am and the the beauty that um, that my family um, and my heritage uh, stands for. So, oh, thank you so much for sharing that. I I I'm 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 very fascinated around like why did you choose to pursue you know being being a doctor right like that's it takes a lot of discipline to want to you know make that commitment to say hey this is this is the pathway that i want to take i'm just curious like what influenced you when, when did you get to a point where you say this is exactly what i'm going to pursue and i'm willing to endure all the different moving parts that it takes to become a doctor yeah you're right man um actually i was pretty young when i decided i wanted to be a doctor um so you know when i was growing up i had really really bad asthma growing up and um, my parents, they both smoked. And so I was like, man, you know, why can't you quit smoking? And so um, my parents were like, you know, you're little, 
you don't understand these things. Um, and so what I ended up doing is somehow, some way, um, I got connected with the New Hampshire Lung Association when I was like 12 years old. Wow. Um, and I became the youth spokesperson for the New Hampshire Lung Association. Oh, my and, gosh. <laughs> and so what happened was my whole drive was I wanted to get my parents to quit smoking. And so what I did was, you know, that required me to be in PSAs, you know, commercials for the State Lung Association. I was on the radio. I was going around to like different schools and like going to Capitol Hill, talking about my experience as an asthmatic, all this. And finally, after I was like, I think I was on WMUR or something because for a fundraiser. And finally, my mom was also on the interview with me. <laughs> she said after the interview, she said, well, look what you did. Now I can't smoke anymore because then I'd be a hypocrite. <laughs> but what I realized was the power of being an advocate for health. And mm. when we have our health, then we can become the best form of ourselves, even at that age. And so, you know, I, I realized that, um, you know, if I could have an impact on families like mine that come from um, that maybe society doesn't really expect much out of and if i can be a representation to those families then i could change the foundation of communities and that's what i wanted to do as a doctor as a family doctor and it, and it sounds like like that that in, that engagement and interaction and the opportunity you had with the lung uh the new hampshire lung foundation kind of inspired ignited that even more it, it sounds like it sounds like that yeah it did you know what it showed me was that um, I could be young and I could still make a difference. And that, that fed my curiosity enough to push beyond, you know, maybe even what the statistics would have, would have said for me otherwise. So, um, that got me to be a doctor, but then what really sealed it for me was in high school, I was looking at colleges and my high school, you know, advisor, uh, told me that maybe I shouldn't look into medicine. I, I may not be, I may not be the right cut to be a doctor. And I said, Oh, really? Oh man. Let me show you. Um, so one thing you'll learn about me is that if someone tells me I can't, then I am very, very determined to make sure that they are wrong. <laughs> wow. And I feel like so many people reach that point, especially from uh, minority communities. I, I, and this is not just isolated to people of color that get those feedback where someone's like, oh, you, you want to be what? But I, I do feel like sometimes it, it gets the impact behind what those other folks say in terms of what, what our capacity is or what our potentials are. You know, I feel like sometimes it's really even more critical because you might not have a, a, a you know, a, an opportunity or a lane for someone else to contradict or challenge a certain perspective that's detrimental to you. Um, and that's so fascinating that, you know, you took that and wanted to kind of use that as an energy to say, hey, I'm going to prove you what like like that. Like, no, this is something that I can deliver. Um, it's so interesting to hear that, because even for me personally, I remember um, my, my freshman and sophomore year, I was, uh, you know, like an honor roll student, my junior year, whoosh, everything just tanked. And I used to have this advisor from, um, I don't want to call the the organization out because people know the organization, but anyway, so I would meet with him like on a like monthly basis. He would come to the school and, 
And when we started talking about wh- what I was thinking about, and I named this four-year college, and he he kind of chuckled. He was like, what? He's like, come on, Dale. Like, with your grades, do you, you really think you're... And I remember I was like, hold off a second. I, I know that I'm kind of like messing up right now, you know, junior year, but to think that I can't even apply or go to that four-year school, no way. There's no way. And, um, and at the end of my junior year, I actually ended up leaving the school that I was going to, to go to a smaller school, small private school. Cause I was like, I got to prove to myself that like the trajectory of where I was going, that it's still possible, but I can still remember nice and clear when that person was like, no, that's, that's not going to be your pathway with those grades. Um, so I, I, it seems like for you and I, like those experiences kind of energized us, like even made us feel more empowered to be like, no way, no, I, I'm, I'm going to show you, I'm going to prove to you. But the, the sad part is for some other folks that they actually take that narrative. It becomes like they, they actualize it and they're like, oh yeah, you know what? Like, what am I thinking? I'm, I'm going to be a doctor? Like, Forget that. All right. Maybe let me find something else that's more um, sustainable that, you know, it makes sense based on whatever the the criteria that are playing at at the time to to influence you. But thank you so much for kind of like to talk for talking about that. And I think in a lot of the work that um, that I do when I do these interviews, like I want people to be able to share those moving parts, because a lot of times everybody wants to stay at high level. Right. I did this. I did that. And then that happened. But the reality is life is so much complex than just kind of the highlight that we see, you know. Uh, my next question to you is like, what what have you learned since you became a doctor? Like, what have you learned? Like, in terms of like, you know, just engaging with people and, and meeting people where they are. Yeah. Like, what, what have you learned through that process? Yeah, I think that's interesting. Um, I've always, I'm a city girl. I grew up in inner city Boston, moved to Manchester, you know, uh, one of the bigger cities in, in New Hampshire, lived in very urban settings. Um, and so I always had in my mind that I wanted to take care of inner city communities. I wanted to give back in that way. So community health centers and like, you know, urban kind of um, environments. Um, and as life would have it, um, my our trajectory, my husband and I landed us right before moving here to New Hampshire in a very small rural town in the mountains of California. I'm talking about, you know, 3000 people, you know, smaller than my husband's high school and and one stoplight. Uh, You can get anywhere in five minutes. Um, And I became a small town family doctor, um, taking care of a a whole county, you know. So So, so everybody knew you. (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, They had to. Um, And if they didn't, I would see them in the ER, then they would know. Um, so, but that was interesting. I spent, um, almost six years, uh, working as a small town family doctor and working with, you know, a lot of people, a lot of communities that are similar actually to New Hampshire, you know, predominantly, um, white kind of working class. Um, so what that taught me though, was that poverty has no color, you know, poverty is, is non-discriminate, you know, um, and need and the human necessity for community and the desire to be understood and heard is universal, you know, Mm. Um, that we are much more similar than I think we think we are 
And when we boil things down to a human experience and we take away those layers of history and tradition um, and we boil it down, people are people. Um, and I think that has been the, the biggest thing I learned um, so far as being a physician is just listening to people's stories and understanding that, you know, no matter how different we may seem to be, there, there is always something that we can learn and become better together from. It, and when you were saying that, I, I just, I kind of just visualize like literally meeting people where they are. Right. Yeah. And, um, and it's, it's, it's interesting that you said that, you know, when, when you started to engage and interact with other people, you started realizing that like, you know, socioeconomic and disparity and, and what people are trying to accomplish or work like, like the overall universal of like people wanting to have a better life or like, you know, it, yeah. it's, it's universal. And uh, I thank you so much for highlighting that because I do think that the only way that you can figure that commonality is by engaging with those who are different and getting to a point where you can get to know their stories. And as you start getting to know their stories, you start realizing, oh, holy crap, like, you know, there's common, there's common interest in terms of what people want for themselves and want for their loved ones. And, and unfortunately, because we don't really have a lot of integrated relationships that help to expose those common ground we don't really, it doesn't allow us to see each other at that level, especially when there's division and there's different perspectives that are more, you know, visible. And, um, and I, that, and, and that's literally like the heart of a lot of the stuff that I do. I try to help people understand that, like, regardless if you're, you know, you're from, you know, Burundi or Somalia or Australia, or, you know, you're part of the, the Hmong community, you know, like the essence of some of the core principles that everybody are trying to pursue are the same. The modality looks different based on the environment and the, com the culture and the community that you're in. But like, people are still trying to pursue kind of the same thing. And if, if we look at each other and view each other from that lens, it can really, really break, break down, you know, a lot of the division that we see. And it sounds like as, as a doctor with the first job that you had for six years, you were able to experience that. that that's really, that's really cool. And how, how, how did those early experience kind of shape what, what you are now and what you do now? I'm, I'm just, I'm just kind of curious around, around that. Yeah, so um, after that experience in, in California, having come here and working at a community health center in Nashua, New Hampshire for four years, um, that helped me immensely. You know, I think that um, one thing that my patients would probably say is that I take time for them. Um, and, and that is sort of like full circle for me having come from, again, you know, from the same kind of background and going to these kind of facilities growing up, um, sometimes it's hard to, 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 to even tempt your providers into listening long enough to hear your story, right? right. Um, there's lots of pressures for that. Um, and so I think what that, what that did, that experience did, is it really helped me to become unapologetic when I'm sharing the stories of my patients' experiences and when I'm trying to advocate for the things that I think now Granite Staters need to become the best form of themselves. Um, and that's really a passion of mine. 
No, that's that's a perfect segue to my next question. And it's going to sound very complicated, and I'm willing to break it apart to make sure that you meet this question where it is. Okay, are you ready? All right, I'm ready. I'm ready. I have this question around agency. I I really, really, like, this is like my bread and butter. And I feel like... um, and, and when I'm talking about agency, I'm actually talking about like the, your ability, an individual's ability to exercise their power. But but before you get to exercise your power, you need to be able to identify what your power actually is, right? And then how does that power play within the construct of the environment that you're in? And then it comes back to actually, then how do you exercise it? So I am so fascinated with that. The reason, one of the reasons why is because like, I actually feel like, I, my theory around what's playing in our society, socially, the division that we see, it's not that, you know, the conflict is happening more frequently, right? Or the friction, whichever way you want to define those friction, are happening more frequently. I actually think the causation of the friction is actually agency, is that people feel that they have power to be able to, one, advocate for for themselves, advocate for the experience that they have, but also be able to bring to light unjust things that are occurring around them that they feel like, man, because I have power now and I have different mediums to be able to express myself, I can express it. So that that's like that's like my little theory. And when I do a lot of training with organization and groups, I always say, hey, like I, you know, what 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 agency do you have and what power are you willing to not compromise in order to let other people in. And then I also ask him, what power are you willing to compromise in order to let others in? And it just throws people off. But anyway, so let me come back. So for you, I'm curious, like, how do you, how do you define your agency? How do you define your power? Right. Mm. And then how do you utilize your power? How do you utilize your power within the construct of, you know, your, 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 your community within the construct of, different stuff that you're involved with but i am really curious around like how do you how do you define your power and has that changed over the years in terms of you know what power do you think you have within within the environment that you're in within the community that you're in and so i'm, I'm just fascinated by that so is, is it, was that a good description to set you up here that was deep man that was deep <laughs> all right <laughs> um yeah you know um i think agency I, I would I would qualify that with agency and urgency. Mm. So um, you know, for for me, I have always um, recognized that I have the gift of speech. I have the gift of when I speak that people want to hear what I have to say, and that has been ongoing since I was very young. Um, I remember having strangers come up to me. Um, on the street when I was 10, 11 years old, and then just sharing their heart with me. Mm. Um, and um, so I, I recognize that wasn't necessarily um, that wasn't necessarily um, a gift or a talent that everybody had. Mm. Um, so with that, um, I felt an, I feel an obligation uh, to make sure that I use that agency, that gift of speech, and of communication um, to be a beacon and to be a, a, a light post for those who may not have a voice, 
may not have the ability to um, to leverage um, their stories. Hold, hold um, on for a second. I, I know I know you're finishing your thought, but I want to come back. Mm-hmm. When did you when you recognize Dave, right? So you recognize that not everybody has that gift to be able to right. communicate, but also create a space and energy that allows others to connect with you. Like when did you, you recognize it, but like, when did you actualize it? What, when did you take that in to be like, yo, this is something that I actually have. Like, this is something part of me. And how did you cultivate that over time? So I think that I had recognized it for a long time, but I really did not internalize that until just a few years ago. And I'll tell you why. Um, I think part of the difficulty for me in activating my agency and recognizing my internal strength is are the narratives that were pushed on me about who and what kind of roles I should be playing as a black woman, Mm. as a young physician, as a young entrepreneur, as a leader. So the... A few years ago, I, I recognized, and maybe I think what spurred it on actually was the recurrencies of deaths of unarmed Black men and women um, in 2016, 2017, um, that, that really pushed me to internalize the fact that I have, in, I have inner strength. And um, when I was able to take that in a few years ago, what that did was that empowered me to be unapologetic about the use of my voice, to not have to placate necessarily to the narratives that I thought I needed to um, play to um, and just do me and be okay with doing me. Um, So I think that long way around answering that question is not living by fear anymore, but being comfortable in my own skin and um, being okay that I'm not, maybe my presence is not going to be comfortable for other people. And that's okay. That's not, that's not necessarily my burden to, to carry. Oh my gosh. There's so much there. Thank you so much for, for, for sharing that. And I think that you know, like what you just described to me personally, that that's literally how I define agency. It's like, like you taking ownership of who you are, you taking ownership of what you have to offer, you taking ownership on how you show up, regardless of what the external expectation or the personality or the preferences um, that are presented. And I think, and I think like, then what you and what you do through that process is what some might gravitate towards as saying, oh, Marie is this and this is how I align with Marie and this is how my own personal interest aligns with her. So I need to partner with her. Or I need to do this. But when it's coming from the core of your own acceptance, it's the most authentic and organic thing that makes you, you, you. And um, unfortunately, that's not the reality for most people and how they live their life because, you know, we, there's so many other factors that just controls, you know, who we are and how we see each other and how we want to show up and, you know, what we're willing to do. And, and, and unfortunately, we end up operating like robots. Like, like you know, I think, I think there's, there's 
statistic out there, like somewhere between 50 to 75% of what we do, we do it through autopilot. I think it's even higher, right? Like we've trained our brain to just do based on whatever. And we don't have a lot of opportunity to actually reflect and say, why do I do this? What's influencing this? So when I, when I think of that, the, the agency is being able to be in tune with who you are and, 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 and what you were designed to be in this, in this world and tapping into that and then letting it flourish, letting that flourish out. So Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think this is the piece where most people struggle with because depending on what autonomy you have, you might allow the external to be what drives your identity because you're either you're looking for acceptance or you're looking for favoritism or whatever it is. And then it, je- it jeopardizes like your true power, your true agency. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. And I, and I, and I think that, uh, you know, that's the quest. That's the quest for me as I operate and work with so many different groups of people. Uh, that's what I go back to. I go back to that because if you know your power, then you know when to let go, when yeah. to give, when to create the space, right. For others to come in. And, and, and I, and I think that's kind of almost like a deeper level of utilizing your agency is when you're willing to go against the norm of what your power is for the sake of others or for the sake of, you know, different meanings. Right. And, and I, and I think that, that that's, that's an important part where in our society teaches us if we're the more vulnerable we are, the more we become open to get hurt. Right. Cause that means we're putting our walls down. But I actually think part of having agency is to know when to be vulnerable and say, you know what, like, I might not agree with you, but I'm going to put my own personal opinion down in order to hear you out. Because at the end of the day, I'm going to meet you as a human because you're a human just like me. It doesn't necessarily, you know what I mean? It doesn't necessarily mean like, oh, now I'm weak because I'm actually considering you. No, it's knowing that who you are and what shapes you and what drives you because you know it, you're willing to say, I'm going to put a pause. I'm going to let you in. Yeah. So what is it for you? What was that like? How did that occur? And if you do get to a point where you realize that other person's perspective actually shapes how you see them, like, and and then that might be the influence to actually change your perspective on how you see them at that moment. Then just keeping the walls going up. So anyways, I go back to agency. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think um, that's the piece that, you know, many communities especially from a socioeconomic piece, you know, it, it, it always, it's always, uh, um, the, the external factor sometimes outweighs the ability for people to have that momentum of having the space to be able to reflect internally for themselves because the decision makers, you know, might be completely different, might not understand where they're coming from. And so therefore you're like, you know what, I just have to conform to the, to the environment around me so I can have a chance. And, um, and, and I, and I remember early on within my career, this is just a little quick example is, you know, most of the the organizations and companies that I worked for, I was the only person of color. And I remember I had to like walk this fine line. And most of the time it was like rules that I created for myself based on what I was like raised the way that I was raised. And I'm like, you know, I got to make sure I'm clean cut. I got to make sure my hair is this or my, and it took me a long time to realize how my other colleagues presented themselves and carry themselves. I was like, Man, they're them. 
Like, I, I remember even at one point, like, someone's like, oh, we f- Dale, you teach dance. I was like, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. This is a corporate space. You don't need to know that I teach dance. Because I, I felt like there would be like, oh, so you're just like a dancer, huh? You know, like, oh, you know what I mean? So it's like, but then I'm like, holy crap, the stuff, the, the reason why my creative thinking and my, my problem solving is so different than most people, because I tap into the same brain that utilize creativity when I'm choreographing. Like, that's actually a strength. So you got to take ownership of, like, if you're a dancer, you're a dancer, Dale. Like, don't be, you don't have to be afraid of that. And I remember even appearance, even hair. I remember at one point, I was always clean cut, clean cut. And then eventually I was like, you know, what? I'm going to raise, I'm going to grow my hair out a little. I had a little, you know, fro, fro top happening, a little bit of dreads, you know what I mean? But it was me getting to a point where I felt comfortable enough to be like, you know what? Like, if my colleagues are being them, then I got to be me too. I can't put all this pressure on myself for the sake of being accepted, you know? So I think the agency piece is like super, 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 super important. So we, you and I can probably talk forever. I hope to bring you back. I am curious what, we are gonna go back to agency because that's gonna be my last question to you regarding how, how can others find, you know, their power and be able to utilize their power. But that, that's the end question. But my question to you, so like, where are you going? I know. So you and I, just my, for my listener, we sit on the same board together. We sit in the uh, in a really awesome organization. We're board members there, so we get to interact in a um, you know frequently through through the board there. But I, so I do know some other stuff that you're planning and where you're going. And but I'm curious for my listeners, you're listening to you, like you know you you've been you've been a physician for a very long time, and you and you got it. You got you got your own goal, right, of where you want to go. So I'm curious if you can share that with my listener, because I feel like they, they got in a little bit of background of where you came from and where you are now. And it'd be cool to kind of hear where, where are you going? Yeah. Um, and I'm glad that you're assuming that I do have a direction because that's really <laughs> awesome too. You no, know, um, being an administrative standpoint, um, and eventually, you know, going into elected office, you know, um, I think that there is value in having physician leaders and particularly leaders of color that are at the table making decisions about um, policies and laws that affect the greater communities. And um, I want to be and continue to be a voice for those communities on a higher level. So. That's that's where I see myself going. Um, I see myself being a bridge between the corporate and the community and um, really trying to help um, narrow the gap of disparities and equity issues that, that we face here in the Granite State. Thank, thank you so much for sharing that. And, and it sounds like um, a lot of the interconnections of kind of the foundation of who you are and what you've been involved with is kind of coming all together and how you see that playing out. And I, and I do have to say, like, I, I'm, I'm super grateful that, you know, you and your family decided to come back to New Hampshire. And um, I, I know that, you know, our, our physician pool of people of color is very limited and and it's really awesome to see how vocal you've been in what's playing out now and 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 having a voice that 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 reflects back to some of the experiences that are not fully represented most of the time is very very um encouraging and 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 um for my listener you know 
Marie's been very vocal and, and, you know, she gets interviewed at times and, 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 it's, it's, and that's, what, what it, that's what it's all about, having a space and platform that people that are informed around certain things to be able to talk about it. So I just wanted to throw that at you and say I, I appreciate um, you being able to, to, to exercise your power and utilize it and be vocal because that perspective is so much needed. So my last question for you is, um, going back to that agency, um, I know I kind of asked it before, but I'm going to ask it differently. How, how do you keep yourself grounded? How do you keep yourself grounded? That's, that's my last question for you. How do you keep yourself grounded? That's deep. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think what coronavirus has taught me is that it's important to prioritize and make sure that I have my priorities in line. Um, creating meaningful margins. That is um, a phrase that I've coined and uh, a mantra that I remind myself of that being busy doesn't necessarily mean that um, I'm being effective. And so making sure that I have time and space to be still is important. Um, making sure that I have a daily practice of gratitude, um, of spending time and making sure that my agenda reflects my priorities and um, doing things that speak to my heart. Um, if anything, you know, through the coronavirus, I've lost colleagues, I've lost friends. I'm seeing a nation that is in pain, um, quite frankly. Um, and it's reminding me that um, what's most important are the relationships that we build. Um, and, you know, I, if I get too busy trying to build my resume um, instead of my legacy, then I'm, I'm moving in the wrong direction. And so whatever I do um, needs to be in alignment with, like you say, that agency and needs to be in alignment with the priorities that I have for myself as Marie. Wow. Thank you so much. I, I will. We, I know I have to get you back. We, we have so much that we can talk about and uh, we'll definitely make that happen 100%. And for my listener, uh, Marie, she joined us today. She was able to to be honest and just chop it up with us. And by the way, she, I didn't send her any question prior to the interview. So this is right off the top. And the coolest thing is it's her experience. So I hope as you, you heard her story yep. that it inspired you. And um, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on on this podcast again, Marie. And um, I like to end it with persevere to excel is the theme. Um, if you're listening and you know, you're, you're struggling, you're going through a hard time. You just, you got to remember, like, it's important for you to have that reflection of who you are and what shapes you. And we all have our own different belief and what we believe in. Some of us are religious, some of us are not religious, but whatever it is, it's important to find what grounds you. So persevere to excel. Thank you so much. Thank you, Marie. Thank you. See you soon. Thank you. (laughs) 